We are continuing our series in the Psalms called Collide. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Psalm chapter 90, Psalm 90. And if you don't have a Bible and want to follow along, it's page 496 in the black Bibles you'll see nearby. So you can grab one of those black Bibles and follow along there, page 496. It's Psalm 90. We've been talking about the different sections of the Psalms, uh, and now we've moved out of section three or book three of the Psalms into section four. There's two more left now, and so it's moving in a more positive direction. And it's starting off with a Psalm of Moses. This is the only Psalm that we know is a Psalm of Moses that's marked as a Psalm of Moses, one that Moses wrote. Moses was the one that led the Israelites out of slavery back in Exodus, and he's the author of the first five books of the Bible. And so you'll see echoes of some of the language of Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're not sure exactly what the context was, but some commentators think that the kind of the context around this psalm, which is about the shortness of our life, some think the context of this is Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, Miriam dies, uh, his sister Aaron dies, his brother, and then Moses sins against God by striking the rock and he's told he won't be able to enter the promised land, that he'll die before he enters the promised land. So a lot of death there in, in Numbers chapter 20. And so this psalm, this sermon, we're titling, Time is Short. Time is Short. God knows what we need to hear. Um, when there was a shooting five years ago at Fort Hood, we were studying the end of Matthew, and we were studying the passage in Matthew that said, Be ready. You never know when the thief is going to break into your house, so always be alert, always be ready. And Jesus talked to his disciples and to us about what it meant to be ready for anything to happen in this world. Um, God knew what we needed at that time, and here again, uh, this was planned ahead of time. God gave us this psalm, I believe, uh, as a special comfort in a a time of disaster. Um, We didn't know what was going to happen this week. Uh, But God did, and this psalm, I think, is perfect for the struggle that our community is going through right now. Um, It's the idea of our mortality. Time is short. We're we're limited people. God is eternal, but we just have a a few days on this earth. So the question is, what are we going to do with the time that God's given us? What are we going to do with the time that he's given us? So let's read Psalm 90. I'm going to read the first few verses uh, now, and then we'll read the rest of it later on. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And he starts off saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They're like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Let me pray for us. God, we we thank you for your word. Um, We pray that you would teach us this morning. Help us to hear it. Help us to understand who you are, what you're doing in the world. Um, We pray that we would be a people of faith and hope. Um, As we prayed earlier, God, help us to grieve with those who grieve, to weep with those who weep, and also rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to be good friends and neighbors and family members to those who are hurting in the midst of the tragedy that's taking place in our community. Also, Lord, in the midst of the tragedy that is uh, everyday life that we live in this world, we thank you for the hope you've given us through Jesus rising from the dead. And that's the hope that we stake our lives on. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as I said before, God, God has a way of preparing us for exactly what we need. Um, years ago, God prepared us uh, as a body. Um, we were studying together what Jesus had to say about always being ready. Jesus says at the end of Matthew 24, the beginning of chapter 25, that we should be ready. He gives some, frankly, confusing instructions about the end of the world in Matthew chapter 24. Some confusing instructions that Christians of all stripes and tribes and variations argue about. But then he gives very clear directions at the end of chapter 24 and into chapter 25. He gives three parables that says, yeah, the end of the world is going to be confusing and you don't really know when it's going to come, but you always need to be ready. And he says, so parable number one, be ready like a good servant that feeds the other servants instead of taking advantage of them thinking God's never coming back. The temptation in a world of evil and murder and suicide is that God's just left us. He's abandoned us. We've seen that kind of temptation and that worry in the Psalms already. And so Jesus addresses that head on. He says, you're going to be tempted to think God's just forgotten about you. But be like the good servant that doesn't take advantage of that situation and abuse the other servants. Be the good servant that cares for the other servants. And then he talks about the parable of the wedding virgins. And that one's confusing because we don't do weddings the way they do. But I would say the, the summary is, he says, be ready to celebrate Jesus' return. Be sitting on the edge of your seat expecting him to come back, ready to celebrate his return. And that's what we're called on uh, to live in that state of preparation, that state of having our, our party supplies out and ready to go. Uh, one of the translations I like, uh, the Dave McMurray translation, is, is have your fireworks bought and ready to launch, right, for Jesus' return. That's really what the parable of the, of the oil and the lamps and all that is, is kind of about. Then there's this third parable he gives of the parable of the talents, and he gives different people different talents, and he, he says very clear, clearly that if we trust the master, if we trust the master, then we'll invest our talents with reckless abandon. So my question for us is in, in a state of disaster and death and just chaos that has hit our community right now, but, but really, uh, we, we live in all the time. We see this in the world around us all the time. Are we going to trust that God is still good? And are we going to invest our talents and use them for the benefit of others? Or are we going to just bury them in the ground and say, I know you're harsh. I know you can't be trusted. Therefore, I'm not going to invest my talents. That's the question before us in the parable of the talents in chapter 25. So Jesus gives these three parables at the end of Matthew saying, be ready, live ready. And that's what God was teaching our church when the shooting happened in November of 2009. And now this week, God's teaching us this, Psalm 90. He's saying, our days are short. Time is short. What are you going to do with the time that you have? Time is short. Do you recognize the shortness of time? Or do you think, like I did when I was 17, that you're invincible and you're going to live forever? That's what I thought. Um, and God, God showed me differently. God changed my mind, changed my heart through, through the death of some friends, realizing, yeah, we're not, we're not going to live forever. We only have a limited number of days. The, the first thing that, that Moses hits us with in this psalm, when he's trying to help us to understand the shortness of time, is that before time, God was. So, so the first idea, just the first couple of verses is that there's this contrast that there's a God that exists before time, right? So time is short, time is short, time is short, but before time, God is everlasting to everlasting, right? Look at verse one and two. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. So I just get to live for a generation, right? I just get one lifetime, but God's been around for all these lifetimes. 
God knew my great-grandparents that I didn't know. He knew my great-great-grandparents that I didn't know. God's been around for all generations. He's going to last beyond us. We just get a little blip on the radar screen, but God gets all generations. And verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Derek Kidner describes this uh, concept here in his commentary on this passage. He says, God is seen here as our God, whose eternity is the answer, not simply the antithesis to our homelessness and our brevity of life. What that means is he's not just a contrast, but he's the answer. He's a contrast also, right? It's a huge contrast. He's, he's everlasting. We're time bound. We're mortal. Our time is short and God is everlasting. But his very everlastingness, the, the fact that he's before time, the fact that he created all things before time is what makes him our hope, right? So it's like we're little, we're small, we're time bound, we're mortal. He's everlasting and eternal. So therefore we can turn to him in hope. He's our only hope. He's the answer to our homelessness and our brevity of life, Kidner says. I have a picture here of the mountains. That's one of my beautiful daughters in front of the mountains. So lest you miss the mountains, there are mountains behind her. I love to go to the mountains. The mountains are a place of refreshment for me. And so I connect with this here in verse 2. He says, uh, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you're a God. He's talking about creation. So not just mountains. Some of you are, are beach people, right? So think about the beach. Um, some of you are forest people. Some of you are desert people, whatever it may be. But there are places where, where we go, where our heart is stirred, and we're reminded of God's creation of all things, how big he is, how great he is, right? And so there are places that you go physically, and you see how big God is, a beautiful sunset or uh, a, a rainy Sunday, whatever it may be, right? That reminds you of God's power, that he's the one that made all things. Romans 1 says the proper response to creation is worship. That's the proper response, is that we should have a sense of awe. But I have a, a warning for you from Romans 1 as well. Romans 1 says we all replay the sin of Adam and Eve. We look at creation and say, I'd rather, I'd rather have the creation without the creator, we replay the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. And we say, I don't, I don't want to obey. I don't want to live in a relationship with God. I want to do life on my own. So the warning for us is to recalibrate and rethink our posture before God and before creation and realize we're time bound. We're needy. We're mortal. And God is the one before time who can heal us and help us and lead us. We should live in submission to him. So when we see creation, that should remind us. That's what Moses is saying here. When I look out at the mountains, it reminds me that you made the mountains. You made the world, God. And that's our proper response when we look outside at what God has created. Then the next thing that Moses gets into really is more of a dark theme, a more serious theme. And he's talking about the prison of time, uh, how time is like a shackle on us, right? We, we see this in verses 3 through 11. It says, you return man to dust, and say, return, O children of man. What's the reference to dust? Anyone know? Anyone read Genesis? Anybody here read Genesis? A couple people? Maybe one or two. Okay, good. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. Um, in Genesis, God creates Adam out of dust, right? Uh, and so here is, it's actually a, it's a different Hebrew word, but the same concept of dust and dirt. He's saying, return to dust. So man's created out of dust and dirt, and we return to dust and dirt. 
And he says in verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. He's talking about how quick our lives are, but for God it's no big deal because God is bigger and beyond time. A thousand years is no uh, big thing, but it's like yesterday. Verse 5 says, you sweep, them as, uh, you sweep them away as with the flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. You ever seen flowers or grass that is fresh in the morning dew and then wilting in the afternoon sun? Have you ever seen that before? Some of you? Well, some of you need to get outside more, okay? So you can understand these biblical analogies. But he's talking about the shortness of life. We're like grass, like grass that springs up and then withers. James picks up on this analogy as well in the book of James, right? He talks about the the quickness of our life, the shortness of our life. He says in verse 7, For we're brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. This is the horrifying uh, position of what philosophers call angst, which means, uh, my translation would be kind of the situation of being freaked out before God, right? That, that we're trembling before God because we know the uncomfortable reality that he sees our sins, that we can't hide our sins from him. So often as people, we're so stupid and we think, well, I'll sin over here in the corner and my social network won't see my sin, but, but God sees our sin. And that's far more dangerous than the people around us seeing our sin. And so Moses talks about this fearful position. God knows our sins. He says in verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. <sighs> verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And so he's talking here about the prison of our mortal lives, saying we just get 70 or 80 years. Now, I've actually heard, well, I don't even know if this is worth dealing with. I've actually heard people say that this is one of those places where the scripture has a conflict or a problem because 70 or 80 years, even though people live longer than that. But that's, that's generally how long people live, right? I mean, that's generally the normal lifespan. And so what Moses is saying is he's saying this is kind of the normal life. It's just this little blip of 70 or 80 years. How many of you um, think about that? How many of you really are aware of that in the front of your mind? Some of us more than others, right? Some of us more than others. We have a cult of youth in our, in our culture, a cult of youth. We worship youth. It's just pumped. It's one of the, the primary religions uh, of our nation and of our people. We're taught to worship strength and youngness and vitality and it's just blasted at us all the time. And so if you are young, uh, you're probably not even aware of it because you just live right in the middle of it, right? Uh, you're one of the people we worship in our culture, right? But as you get older, you realize more and more that you're out of step with reality, that, that youth doesn't last forever, that we just have this limited time. And so there's this uh, focus from Moses here in the psalm that it's a result of our sin, that death and our limited lifespan and our being time-bound and the shortness of our time, it's a prison house because of our sin. Um, the story in Genesis is that because Adam and Eve did not want to walk with God, they just wanted creation without the creator, that they were locked out of paradise. 
And so we understand that we live in the world locked out of paradise, locked out of the way things are supposed to be. And so that includes death and brokenness and pain and bad relationships and work that doesn't go well and child rearing that doesn't go well. All those curses are because of our sin, because of our desire to live apart from God. And so Moses is reflecting that here when he talks about the wrath of God. He's saying the wrath of God is, is borne out in the reality of us living time bound, of us having these limited lives. The story of Genesis is that that wasn't the original intention, that we were made to live in paradise and multiply paradise throughout the world. But we chose not to multiply paradise. We chose to multiply death and rebellion away from God. And we all replay that. Um, Paul talks about this in Romans 8. Paul says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Moses doesn't really touch on the future that we look forward to so much as just reflecting on the struggle that we live in now and recognizing that the now that we live in is, is a world of suffering. It is a world of death, like a prison. I have a picture here of someone's hands on bars uh, like being in a jail, we're, we're bound by time. We only have 70 or 80 years. If you're working on projects, if you're working on uh, just your job or even relationships, there's this limitation of you, you can't do it all. There's, there's never enough time in the day. Have you ever heard that phrase before? That's a reflection of the reality that we're, we feel like we're running out of time. And the older you get, the faster time goes, Right? Anybody over 40 can agree with me there? Give me an amen. Yeah. The older you live, the faster time goes, and it's, it's slipping away from us. It's slipping out of our hands. Well, I think there's two reactions we can have to this reality of our time-boundness, of, of the prison that is time, of just having 70 or 80 years. Two, two helpful applications I, I pull out of Romans 8, because I think Romans 8 is, is a passage where Paul really wrestles with that, where we're living among death, but we have hope in the resurrection. So how do we live in light of that? We're living in the death that Moses describes here, but we know Jesus has conquered death. So what, what does that look like in our life? The first thing I think Romans 8 tells us is that we should live with confidence. The beginning of Romans says there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So even though we live under the condemnation and wrath of God in a world of death, Jesus has unlocked that so we don't have to live under that condemnation anymore. Even though we're still in this time of, of death and brokenness, there's now no condemnation for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And he says it a different way in the end of chapter 8. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So what Paul is saying is that if we live in this time-bound trap of death that Moses describes, yet Jesus has broken into that, and risen from the dead and promised us that he's going he's gonna to pull us out as well, then we can live with confidence even in this prison of death. Does that make sense? We can live with real confidence. Yeah, our days are numbered. I might get hit by a bus tomorrow. We, we don't know. So let's live with confidence now. Let's take the day we have today and live as fully as possible. I think that's what Paul is telling us to do. The second application I think that Paul gives us then out of Romans is comfort. By the end of Romans, that's where Paul says, because of this comfort, because of this confidence we have that we're going to conquer death, then we can take the time to genuinely grieve with others in, in death and sickness in this world. Yes, we have confidence that we'll escape it, so that gives us the chance to stop and pause, and as Paul says in Romans 12, we can weep with those who weep, and we can rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Paul goes on in Romans 12 and says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He gives us instructions there in Romans 12 of how we are to live. Basically, a good summary would be, be nice, love each other, care for each other, right? Because of the confidence you have. If you have no confidence, then we're going to have to steal, kill, and destroy to take what is ours, right? But if we have confidence that Jesus has taken care of us, that allows us to live generously and freely towards others. The gospel is what makes the difference. That gospel confidence of Jesus has conquered this world of death allows us to give our lives for others in this context of death, to give time to others. So instead of just building our personal empire, we can take time to befriend other people, come alongside them, encourage them. Do you have those kind of relationships in your life? Do you have relationships in your life where you are purposing to invest in other people? That's what Jesus calls us to do. Just like he invested in his disciples. He made friends. He took time with them. He trained them. He encouraged them. He taught them. Do you have people in your life that you're coming alongside? You're encouraging. You're lifting up. I think in order to live this out in this world of death, because it's, it's hard, it's uh, frustrating, it tears us down. In order to do it successfully, we've got to have those kind of relationships. You've got to have a buddy or a group of friends that you can pray with and remind yourselves of the scriptures together. Remind yourselves of this hope we have of resurrection. We have to have that or, or we won't make it through this prison of time. The last thing that he focuses on is, is then redeeming the time, making the most of it. He says in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Uh, one of the ways this is reflected in the New Testament in a couple of different places and both Ephesians and Colossians says to make the most of the time or redeem the time. So I'm using the phrase here, redeeming the time, buying back the time, make the most of the time. Moses says, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He's, he's praying that God, by his steadfast love, again, we would translate that by his grace, his unconditional love, we'd say, by your love, God, because you're a loving God and a gracious God and a forgiving God, help us to rejoice in these days, even though they're evil. It's not a denial that the days are evil. It's not a denial that death is bad and not the way things are supposed to be. It's saying, God, help us to make the most of these days. Our days are short. Help us to make the most of it. Establish the work of our hands. Help us to live lives that count. Because we've just got this little blip on the radar. Help us to make it count. Help us to use the time well. I have a picture here of an oasis in the desert. This is actually in Peru, uh, Wakachina Oasis. I don't know if y'all have ever... Anybody ever been to Wakachina Oasis in Peru? Nobody? Okay. Looks really beautiful. Um... But it's literally an oasis in the middle of the desert, right? It's fresh water and trees and life and a community and people living in the middle of death and dryness. And that's what we're called to be. That's what our lives are supposed to be. When Moses is talking about making the most of the time, that, that's how we're supposed to live. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we still live in the desert. 
We still live in the time of death and brokenness and wondering how long, O oh Lord, but we are to be an oasis. We are to bring life. And I already mentioned, you know, the ways that Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 12, talks about uh, encouraging others and weeping with people and rejoicing with people and loving people well, making the most of the time in those ways. But I want to suggest other ways that we can be an oasis in the desert. I just made a list. Um, we could share the gospel with other people. And a people who are bound by death and time, who are terrified of their days running out, we could share the hope that we have in Jesus, right? We could say, we believe that we're bound by death and time too, but Jesus came to break us out. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and he rose from the dead, promising us that we also will have resurrection life. That's a, that's a simple hope that we have that we can share with other people. I encourage you to share that with your friends that don't know that hope that you have. Um, here's another one. Change diapers. How about that? Changing diapers. Do we have any moms here? Any dads here today? Some? Okay. The monotony of life sometimes can feel overwhelming. But just, just having kids, right? Just moving forward, making meals, changing diapers, teaching the next generation is, is planting a flag in the ground and saying, we're going to live for hope, even though it is a hard world. Even though it is a world of death and struggle and pain, we're going to love those around us. We're going to care for the next generation. That, that's a, an act of sedition against the world of death, right? Just caring for kids, loving those around us. Um, making good products, educating others, all kinds of things that God has called you to. You can do those things in a way that glorifies God. By saying, God, I give this to you as an act of worship, right? If you make shoes, if you build houses, whatever it is you do, if you teach children, God calls you to do that in a way that honors him. If you kill bad guys, if you enforce justice, God calls us to our different callings and says, do these things in a way that glorifies me in the world, in a way that shows that I'm a God of justice, in a way that shows that I'm a God of beauty, in a way that shows that I'm a God of excellence. And when we do those things, when we pursue our callings in hope, because Jesus is the hope we have to wake up another day and fulfill our calling, he's the only reason we do it, then we honor him with the life that he's given us. As I said before, Jesus makes it very clear that we should redeem the time. Paul talks about it in, in Ephesians and Colossians. Um, Paul says that Jesus came at the fullness of time. Christ was his plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Jesus is the one that makes sense of this world that we live in, where we are bound by time, but God is outside of time. And in Acts chapter 3, the apostles say that a time of refreshing has come through Jesus. A time of refreshing. And it says the time of restoring all things is what we're still waiting for. So what they're saying there in Acts chapter 3 is that the time of refreshing is upon us, the hope of resurrection we have in Jesus, faith in him forgiving our sins, giving us eternal life so we can live in a way that makes a difference now. And he says we're waiting for the time of restoring all things. We live between those times. We live now in the time of refreshing and we look forward to the time of all things being made right, but the time is short. And because of Jesus, we can make the most of the time. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to share in communion 
together. If the men can come forward, they're going to help to pass out the communion elements. I'll pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us so much. You sent your son, Jesus, and I pray that you'd help us to make the most of the time. Help us to remember you in the daily acts of faith that we do. Waking up, taking a breath, honoring you, fulfilling our callings, gathering with other believers, encouraging saints to hope in you. God, help us to do this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.